Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, December 31st. We begin with a look at the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in our nation. We asked the question of whether the vaccine should be made available for private purchase by either individuals or organizations like professional sports teams. We get the thoughts of a bioethicist from the University of Toronto. Next, it's been a very difficult year for the travel industry. We take a look back at the challenges faced in 2020 and a look ahead to what 2021 holds for the industry with the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Then we continue our look at New Year's resolutions. If getting organized is on your to-do list for 2021, look no further. We get some tips on how to get started with a professional organizer. And finally, whatever your resolution may be, you may need some motivation to achieve your end goal. We catch up with author, speaker, and movie producer Doug Vermeeren with some suggestions on how to ignite the spark of motivation. 709 on the morning news. And would the COVID vaccine being sold privately, for example, to sports teams, private business owners, or frequent travelers, cause a shortage for those who need it the most? Gary Bowman is a bioethicist at the University of Toronto and joins us now with thoughts on the matter. Good morning to you, Kerry. Good morning, Andrew. This is an interesting concept because we are told in our fine nation, everybody will have access to a COVID-19 vaccine. So, so we're covered. But if, uh, if certain organization, for example, a business or those who have the means could purchase it, uh, would they and would they be able to jump the queue? What, what is the issue with this? Well, the issue would be equality and justice. Uh, you know, we are in a state of emergency provincially, nationally, and we have been for a long, like what, I think we're 10 months in now. So this is a serious situation. So what it would imply or, you know, what, what, what it would cause is, is there would be less access for the most vulnerable people. And, and by now, I think most of us know who those people would be. So it's very, very unlikely this is going to occur anytime soon. That doesn't mean it's not going to occur at all. But what I mean by that is in early 21, which is imminent tomorrow, right? Um, uh, it's very unlikely this will occur. Um, and, you know, I, I can't speak for the United States. I mean, as we all know, that's a very different country and they have a very different view of market forces than we do. It might. But we have some pretty broad consensus. It would be very problematic. So we heard some rumblings about what the NHL, but then they countered that pretty quickly. You know, a counter-argument to that would be that things are, could be so culturally important uh, to Canada, like hockey or something, that it would be a good investment to make sure that you could move forward. I don't think that's going to cut it in such a severe emergency as this one. But look, w- when we hit spring, late spring, summer, I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. This may change enormously. Right now, the drug companies, Pfizer, Moderna, and to my understanding, AstraZeneca, are saying we're not doing any private sales. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a case of, I, I think the initial reports were just under 200 different drug makers were working on a successful vaccine. Uh, you're saying that as time moves on and more vaccines are available to the general public, but also if more drug makers come on stream with successful vaccines, that could be a game changer as well and open up this second market. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're talking about very, very big drug makers, and they've gone out of their way to market themselves as partners in a crisis so they uh, you know I, and i commend them for this they're making it very clear they're not going to sell but look all kinds of things could happen things could be sold um is one and there could be a black market the other thing is fraud uh, we have to be very careful in canada that we're not starting to see you know buy your your covid vaccine online could be completely fraudulent um you could be injecting yourself with god knows what mm-hmm. um 
So we've got a lot of stuff we have to keep a close eye on. But look, when, you know, let's hope, fingers crossed, when people stop dying and becoming very sick, and let's hope that's in a few months, um, and the numbers start to slowly come down, this may shift. If it's no longer considered a crisis, this may shift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people, including me, you know, I work internationally, and, and so I'm very keen to get it so that I can get out and work. But, you know, I'm just one story of a million. I mean, I don't have any priority to this at all. But um, And I wouldn't buy it until this crisis has passed. But mm-hmm. look, if it's really winding down and there's public availability but waiting, you know, it depends. If it's not a matter of life and death, this may shift. Not a matter of life and death. Yeah, it could shift, as you mentioned. But uh, when you put the matter of money in and you look at a, an organization like an NHL, an NFL, you know, NBA, for example, those business owners want to make bucks. And I'm sure the drug makers would like to make some some extra dollars because they're doing this. Some of them, they're saying they're going to sell it at cost. And, uh, you know, when you talk about anything ethical, sometimes money can uh, swing the pendulum, can't it? Well. Look, market forces usually override ethics, and that's a very sad reality of our society, but it happens left, right, and center. You know, with the vaccination passports, publicly we're not going to support them, but privately, you know, to go to a hockey game, to go to a bar, restaurant, and, and not now, but in the months ahead, you know, market forces could control that. So we will see. But look, I'm not a marketing expert, but I, I would say at this point, NHL, like the, the various teams, whatever they may be, it could backfire. If they proceeded on this with without public support, it could be very perceived in a very negative way. Um, and I think they probably won't. Not not anytime soon. But I'm guessing when I say that, even if they could, I should say it's a it's a bad look for for fans and uh, for other businesses who want to do their business. Because heck, when you get down to it, sports on that professional level is a business, and the other businesses, well, how come the NHL? Uh, I want to. It ask, is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a business, right? It is. And, you know, but sports has been, and I, I'm not, I don't know that much about sports, to be honest with you, but, but they really, social responsibility and, and sports have really been far more closely linked than they ever have been before. And I think that trend is going to continue, and that's a very, very positive trend. I want to ask you this. This is a little off the beaten path from the topic that we've been discussing, but as a bioethicist, and this is something that, you know, and as a society, we've never had to think about until this uh, previous year. When the vaccines start to roll out, limited numbers, we know it's going to be a trickle to begin with, with, particularly with just two vaccines approved in our nation, choosing who gets the vaccines first. And I know that mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a double-edged sword in that people say, okay, well, frontline workers, obviously, the most vulnerable, and the elderly. And there's a, some school of thought that say, well, you know, the elderly, that, that's great, uh, but, you know, they're, they're at the end of their life cycle. Maybe, maybe we should be uh, looking at doing younger people first to make, to make these almost God decisions. That's got to be tough. What is your viewpoint from a bioethicist? Yeah, you know, what I would say to that is is that any society, like, a, a, you know, a mature democratic society, meaning a place like Canada, there's absolutely no way that our governments can start to say these lives matter than more than others do. Meaning younger people's lives, lives have an inherent value higher than older people's lives. There's ethicists that would counter that argument. They'd say, you know, the, the, the years ahead, but, you know, there's no guarantee of years ahead whether you're 21 or not. Life is very unpredictable. So I, I think that that would be, you know, uh, quite a problem. And I don't think we'll go down that road. I really don't. And I think we've got broad consensus. It's the second wave of the rollout that's going to be more challenging. Mm. When older Canadians have been inoculated, uh, vulner- most vulnerable communities, 
Who's next? You know, mm-hmm. is it a bus driver, it, you know, on a busy route? Is it is it someone that's got, you know, severe asthma and maybe, you know, hypertension? You know, some of the things that don't sit well with COVID-19. Like, those challenges, I think, will be greater. But I actually think we do have broad consensus. Um, you know, again, there's people out there that are saying, forget that. Look at who the super spreaders are. If, in fact, it's young partying people, and that's a stereotype, by the way. I'm not saying it is, but, you know, people between 18 and 25 that socialize a lot, uh, target them first. But we do have consensus that our first goal is to bring down morbidity and mortality, sickness and death. Mm-hmm. That's our first goal. And, I, you know, we've been quite successful on that. Unfortunately, you know, we're not, I don't mean to be, you know, the, the Americans get slagged so much on this, but... We're really lucky to have a lot more national consensus than the U.S. does on so many things yeah. in this pandemic. It's really helped us. we got to look at the positives. A very interesting, yeah. uh, a very interesting discussion. I appreciate your time this morning, Kerry. All the best, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. That is Kerry Bowman, a bioethicist at the University of Toronto. 7.49 on the morning news. 2020 has been a very bad year for many industries, but particularly the travel industry, with some agencies reporting that businesses are down by 75 to 80%. The travel lady, Leslie Cater, joins us now with more on 2020 struggles, but also, more importantly, some good news ahead. Light at the end of the tunnel for the travel industry. <laughs> good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning, Andrew. Well, you know, and, and we can even touch on the, the recent news yesterday about incoming travel to our nation to see if that would affect people who are, are going away on a trip. Uh, but first, how would you sum up 2020, a year like hopefully we never see again? Oh, yes. What a nightmare that has been, and I'm, I'm glad to see it go. Uh, I'm not being uh, delusional when I think it's all going to go away at midnight tonight, but um, 2021 is looking very good and, in fact, very strong for bookings going into 22 and even 23. So the pent-up desire to travel is definitely there. It is there, and I think that, you know, the next time we can really go on a trip, it is going to be absolutely fantastic. You look back, and it, it wasn't too long ago uh, that we had some good news here in the city of Calgary with a pilot project that's maybe a sign of things to come as far as uh, traveling and, and coming back. Yeah, exactly. That really generated a lot of optimism from travelers. Uh, we had a lot of people traveling and still have them down in Mexico, Caribbean, various places. And they really liked us. In fact, I think we were the envy of all the other provinces because they wanted the same testing taking place at their airports. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I know that it's going to still be some time. And, yes, we talk about, you know, perhaps travel being more expensive as a result of, you know, literally less traffic in the air maybe. But mm-hmm. it could be a case that we see some deals to be had as we move further down the line from these uh, different resorts and travel providers. Definitely. What's happening now that I see is in in an effort to stimulate bookings. Uh, Tour operators, cruise lines, airlines, they're offering really good deals. They want to pin those uh, bookings down, as I say, even going far into the future. So if you're thinking of traveling in the future, it might be a good idea to take advantage of some of those, even though it might be for 18 months down the line. Something you touched on, and uh, it seems like it was a lifetime ago, The cruise lines certainly hit hard, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is something that, you know, we're hoping to see rebound because people love their cruises. Oh, they do. You know, a hardened cruiser 
will do just about anything. And uh, David Abel, who was the British man who was broadcasting from the Diamond Princess, he was 20 days on the Princess uh, in quarantine. Then he caught COVID and was in hospital in Japan for three weeks. He's now got five cruises booked for 2021. You cannot keep these cruises down. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot. People, uh, those who like it, like it a lot. Uh, They certainly do. Well, we like having you on, Leslie, and uh, uh, we'll talk again. I know it sounds cliche. We'll talk again next year. But Happy New Year to you, and thank you so much. And thank you for you. Thank you so much. That is Leslie Cater, known as The Travel Lady. You can find more about Leslie at thetravellady.ca. 8.12 8.12 on the morning news. 2020 has been a year like no other with all the uncertainty that comes with the pandemic. You may be looking to take control of certain aspects of your life and become more organized in the new year. Cindy Browning is a certified organizer and joins us now with some tips on decluttering and repurposing space in 2021. Good morning to you, Cindy. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, depending on your situation, depending on uh, your lifestyle at home, can be quite daunting looking at, you know, whether or not it's organizing from, a, a, you know, a, a clo- one closet, one drawer, or it could be an entire basement or a garage. Where do we even start, Cindy? <laughs> That's an excellent question, really. That's a question that most everybody has when they go to look at starting a project like that. So um, I think the key thing that people need to remember is use the 80-20 rule. So we use 20% of the stuff 80% of the time, and we should or might use the other stuff um, 80% of the time. Okay. So it means that we're, we're not using as much stuff as we think, and we're just holding on to it because we might use it someday. And so when you look at that and look at what items you have, um, that's a good place to start. And then the next thing is don't get overwhelmed. Start really small. Don't walk into that overflowing basement and look and go, oh, my God, I have to do this all in a day. No, you don't. You can take 10 or 15 minutes, clear out a corner, and call it good. Um, that'll help you um, not get overwhelmed. And then also be practical. Um The Marie Kondo method has been a big topic of conversation over the past many years. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily subscribe to that because I don't have to pick everything up and touch it to know whether it belongs (laughs) in my house or, you know, whether I want to keep it or not. And maybe I'm just more practical about that. But, um, you know, but you certainly want to look at, do I use this? When was the last time I used it? And will I use it again? Do I love it? You know, do I love it? Yes. If it's something sentimental, then I think you should hold on to it. Um, What items are important? Um, why are you keeping the item? Does this item cost me money, time, or energy? And do I have a place in my home for it? And if you don't, then out it goes. You know, it's it's tough. That, that, that sounded like one uh, great method. For me, I had a pile of shirts from that I had in a closet in the basement. And I had them in a pile for about a week, wanted to go through them. I finally asked my wife, would you go downstairs and go through those shirts? If there's any you really like, keep them. I found it was much easier uh, putting a ruthless choice in someone else's hands. Is that something we can look at doing? Absolutely. I mean, that's why you would sometimes hire a professional organizer is because we're here to be objective and ask you, okay, you know, if you're going to keep this, then what else is leaving? Like in my house, I have like a one-in, one-out rule or one in uh, mm. two out rule. So if I buy a new item of clothing, two pieces of clothing leave. If I buy something else, then something else leaves. So that I try and keep that, that going so that I don't accumulate all of that clutter. And then um, sometimes you need that extra person in your life to be like, well, why do you need that? What are you keeping that for? We don't have room for it, you know? 
Um, and the key is to to donate, give away, sell, toss, you know, return, right? So don't go adding an extra bookshelf for all those books because you may only have space in this one small area for the bookshelf. The goal is to go through those books and, um, you know, get them down to a, a, an amount that will fit in the bookcase. Don't go out and buy another bookcase. That's a very good point. Let's uh, let's talk about, you know, books might be different, sentimental, maybe pieces of jewelry, for example. Uh, but uh, can you put a time frame on how long we should have something that we don't use before we decide to discard it? I'm, I'm sure it's not a one-size-fits-all, but, uh, you know, let's say a piece of clothing, for example. How, how long uh, should it have not been used, uh, not seasonally either, uh, that I should uh, toss th- that piece of clothing? Well, here's a, here's a really great tip. Uh, seasonal items aside... Um, you could go into your closet today and you can turn all of the hangers backwards so that they're facing out. And then every day when you go into your closet, you're using that item, you'll put it back the normal way that you would hang it on the hanger. Mm-hmm. And at the end of, you know, six months, if there's still something that's hanging backwards with the hook facing out, you know you haven't worn it in six months. Wow, there's nice. a good, you know, six months or even a year. If you haven't touched that item in a year, then it's a good indication that it could probably go. And you know what, in the end, is this a problem, do you think, that we've always had, or has it increased in our society uh, from your professional standpoint? Well, I think, you know, it's something we've always had. Some people um, are organized or unable to do these things and let them go, and some people aren't. And, and over my, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years that I've been doing this, you know, I, I often wonder when I finish something, you know, why is it that some people can't keep it that way and some people just aren't organized and that's fine they just need that extra guidance or somebody like you said your wife to to be that person who's like nope this is going (laughs) you know you haven't used it in six months or a year then and it's collecting dust you know then it should go um another great way of, of doing that is putting those items um that you're not sure about that you're just not sure you want to let go of just yet Put them out in a box or a garbage bag, uh, mark them in the garage. And if you haven't come back to that box, you haven't gone looking for that item in, again, six months or a year, then that's also a, a good indication that you could probably let it go. Probably let it go. Some great tips to get started. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Cindy, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much. That is Cindy Browning, a professional certified organizer. You can find out more about Cindy at photosavvy.net. 609 on the morning news, looking to set some goals for 2021, but having trouble finding motivation. Well, look no further. He's been described as the modern-day Napoleon Hill as his passion is interviewing some of the world's top achievers. We're joined now by author, speaker, and movie producer Douglas Vermeeren. Good morning to you, Doug. Hey, Andrew. Totally good to be with you. Glad to talk with you. And uh, here, capping off 2020. It went by in the blink of an eye. It was one of the most interesting years I'll ever remember. Uh, so, so when it comes to looking ahead to 2021, setting a goal is fine. And, and I think that's the easy part because so many of us have a tough time following through. So can we create motivation from within or do we need an outside influence or inspiration? Well, I'm going to say both. You know, it's interesting. You've heard the saying that we become like the five people we spend the most time with. And the reality is, is, you know, a lot of our, how should we say, um, cues for motivation, our cues to get momentum going, our cues to get going, are, are really the, built by the standards of those that we spend the time with. And so if we really want to get going, I think oftentimes the first step is to up-level our influences and our surroundings of the people that we're with. But here's something also that's kind of interesting is that a lot of people use this word like motivation and they throw it around like, this is what I've got to do. I've got to get motivated and I've got to get excited. 
The reality is emotion is very attached to emotion. And so there are days where we just don't feel like doing anything. And so it's difficult to rely on motivation by itself. I think there's a stronger word for us, and that's momentum. And once we have goals and we have a very powerful reason why, and that's important because we need to find our why power before we find our willpower. But once we have that, the key with any of these things is just simply to push ourselves a little bit to get the momentum started. And once it's started and it becomes a habit, it's much easier to follow through. Does it make it more difficult, and I know you're, you're speaking in general terms now, some great concepts, but does it make it more difficult in 2020, for example, where we haven't had that opportunity to surround ourselves, you know, in person, whether it's, uh, you know, coworkers uh, that you, uh, you know, uh, really look up to or inspire you or those friends you might even just even go to the uh, pub, uh, pub with and grab a beer and wings? <laughs> Well, I think that there's a positive and a negative to this. The reality is, is yes, we do get influenced by these people in positive ways, but sometimes we also get influenced in negative ways. Like you said, heading out to the pub when maybe we prefer to be doing something more productive for maybe a business that we're building or, or a relationship that we're trying to create with someone else. And we can often be, how should we say, knocked out by peer pressure. Mm. So I think it is really important that in this time of COVID, it's really a matter of, Uh, being able to reset ourselves, if you will. Mm. And when we're sort of in these moments of reflection, we have greater power to reset. In fact, it's interesting. They've talked a little bit about the way our human mind is structured. And there's really three tiers, right? We've got the reptilian mind, the mammalian mind, and then what we call the cognitive mind. Well, if we just stop at those two, you know, that social mind, that mammalian mind, and the cognitive mind, well, the cognitive mind is really our logical mind. It's our highest level of thinking. And generally, when we're by ourselves in a quiet moment of solitude and we reflect on our goals, we start looking at things from a long term, what we really want to create, not the immediate gratification stuff. But when we're in our social environments, oftentimes we'll sacrifice the things that we logically know we want just to have a good time in the moment the immediate gratification stuff. So the big blessing of 2020, and hopefully this part of the blessing at least carries to 2021. We don't want the rest, but this blessing we want, it's to be able to focus individually on what we really want and to be able to make long-term decisions without the influence of outside forces or outside pressure expecting us to do other things. And I think that that's the blessing. Yeah, so so taking that time to be a little perhaps more interest, uh, introspective. Uh, and interesting because you you know you mentioned the importance of the people around you. I'm wondering also, there are so many different resources out there. So can we really you know uh, learn uh, more about motivation or, or ignite that spark by by reading a motivational book or a podcast or something you're very familiar with, uh, uh, movies mm. for example. Yeah, no, definitely. And in fact, you know, I think that's a really great place to start. Uh, The thing that I love about any of these books or podcasts or even the movie, like the one that we just created, How Thoughts Become Things, the way that we've designed these is not necessarily to give you all the answers, but to get you thinking about the answers that you want, right? And I think that this is a great time for when you're reading that motivational book or you're listening to that podcast, have a notebook ready. And don't listen so much to what the speaker or the presenter is sharing, but listen to your inner voice, if you will, your inner brilliance. And that's what's going to whisper to you what your next step is. And I think that we need to trust that more. That's part of being authentic to who we are. This is what you do for a living. And I have known you for for a number of years. We've crossed paths many times. This is what you do. This is your life's work. But I'm wondering, 
does Doug Vermeer ever, you know, have to find motivation? Do you ever get down and, and, and do you use the same tools that you, you advise others to use? Absolutely. In fact, I think it's part of being human. Here's something that's interesting, too. Like in our film, How Thoughts Become Things, this was uh, a really startling point for me to discover. You know, we, we often hear that, wow, if we're going to manifest the things that we want in life, we have to think positive and we've always got to be optimistic and we've got to, you know, have these pristine, polished, positive outlook uh, ideas around everything. But the reality is, is every thought that comes to us has both a positive and a negative side to it. When we believe we can do something, immediately thereafter we have doubts and fears. And so we've got to be prepared and have correct expectations that not everything is going to arrive in perfect shape. In fact, one of the things that I found when I was interviewing the top achievers from around the world is that none of them are perfectionists. They're all improvisers. They don't wait for things to be perfect to get started. It would almost be like saying, I'm not going to leave the house until I get a report that every light along the way is green. It's never going to happen. So we do need to get started, but we also need to recognize that there's going to be some bumps in the road and just be prepared for that. And that in itself, that preparation will give us some ability to push through when those moments happen. Lastly, uh, you know, I want to ask you this because we spoke with a fitness trainer, a fitness expert on a Tuesday, I believe. And, and I asked her, I said, is setting those realistic goals? It's one thing to say, hey, I'd like to bench press 350 pounds in 2021. Um, you've seen me. That would be physically impossible. Um, or run that marathon. Uh, very lofty, uh, but making the goals attainable. Would that be similar to motivation? Like, you know, you, you might not be that person that can get up at four in the morning every single day starting on January 1st, but you could move toward that if you wanted to. Yeah, I think that that's definitely true. In fact, obviously, there's not a lot of time to get into this. But when I was first studying this, I ran into a principle called the law of probability, which in fact replaces every single uh, goal-setting theory that's out there, this write-it-down, set-a-date, and this checkmark kind of idea, because we're human beings, not human doings. So the checkmark thing just doesn't really work long-term for people. And especially at work, if you're you know, a leader, most of the time you're assigning people their goals, and that also doesn't give them the power to achieve them. But the law of probability states, just in an essence, that the, the closer we take steps to accomplishing what we'd like to have, the more easily it will come. So again, if let's say, for example, to, this is your year to say start an entrepreneurial endeavor like a business, what steps can you do to increase the chances that you'll be able to succeed? And that comes from the people that you'll meet, the things that you'll learn, the places that you'll go, and also the frequency with which you'll do them. So oftentimes when I've seen the top achievers achieve their goals, they're not looking at taking a big, big bite out of something and all of a sudden they're, you know, instantly changed. It's that idea of how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. Mm. So ask yourself, what can I do today to move closer towards that goal, even if it's not the complete accomplishment of it? Everything is going to be achieved in little steps, and it's also going to be sustained in little steps. In other words, our habits build little by little, not in one big swoop. It's just not going to work for you that way. Some great words, some great thoughts. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Doug. Thanks for having uh, me. All the best to you in 2021. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. That is Douglas Vermeeren, entrepreneur and uh, the producer and director of the film When Thoughts Become Things. You can find him online at Douglas Vermeeren. That's V-E-R-M-E-E-R-E-N dot com.